Hello and welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're always so encouraged to know that God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send a message to lifechange at hopecityonline.net. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message out of God's Word. In the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24, we read these words. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Don't you remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? He said that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven of the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe because their words seemed like, like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb. He had to see firsthand. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself, what the heck happened? Father, whenever we encounter the power of your resurrection, we're left reeling. Whenever we encounter the power of new life, we're left wondering. God, I pray with every fiber and ounce of my being that this morning that all expectations that we had when we walked into this place will be shattered that all of our assumptions about what we thought would take place in this room would be wrecked and God I pray that we would walk out of this place going what the heck just happened because we encountered resurrection power we encountered the living among the dead that's our hope that's our heart that's our prayer and lord as you know this particular conversation is being weighing heavy on me so i pray that you would give me supernatural strength in these moments to speak definitively and clearly church for the sake of your kingdom and for your purposes in our lives. 
Speak to us now. We love you and we thank you for being who you are in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. The church said, amen. You can have a seat. Every uh, ministry leader and advisor and piece of email advice that I get, because once you're in ministry, um, you just get bombarded with emails. Seven steps to a happy, healthy church. Six steps to capitalize on Easter growth, blah, 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 blah. You get all this stuff, right? And every piece of advice I've heard can be summed up with one thought. On Easter Sunday, preach an Easter message. On Easter Sunday, preach the gospel. On Easter Sunday, just share the good news of Jesus. Keep it simple. Don't complicate it. Don't add a lot of fluff. Just preach the gospel. That's great advice. That's a great word. The problem is, when a lot of pastors and leaders hear that advice, they make a false assumption. And so rather than preaching the gospel, they inadvertently preach the information of the gospel. They stand up and they share all the information that you need to know that if you were raised in the South, or in Western in the Western world at all, you already know. Let me, let me explain to you what I mean. Like every email and every piece of coaching that I get says, have people come in and make sure that they hear that Jesus took their sin upon himself when he died upon the cross, that he traded it for his righteousness so that people can now have direct access to God and their own mistakes won't be held against them. Preach that and you're good. And if you preach that because the tomb is empty and Jesus conquered death, that access to God doesn't have to stop in this life, but it goes on for all of eternity because Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And we're supposed to preach that if you hear this information and you accept this information, that you're good and you can move on. And so people come in every Christmas, every Easter to churches all over America and they hear the information of the gospel presented and they say, yep I like that. They walk out and nothing changes but they assume that they're good because a pastor stood up and said God loves you no matter who you are God loves you in spite of who you are Jesus died for your sins so no matter how much you sin you're good and people walk out and they assume gospel says I'm good I heard the information I accepted the information I'm going to heaven I'm good and we make the mistake of consistently and continually year after year preaching the information of the gospel but never preaching the implications of the gospel And there's a distinct difference between the two. Because people never begin to understand the implications of the gospel. They never quite figure out the application of the gospel in their life. 
And because they never figure out how to apply the gospel to their marriage, how to apply the gospel to, to, to their relationships with their kids, how to apply the gospel to their thought life, how to apply the gospel to their choices, how to apply the gospel to their conversations, because they never figure out the application, they inevitably never experience gospel transformation. And ultimately what people desperately need, what you're longing for, whether you know it or not, is transformation in your life. You want something more in your relationships. You want something more when it comes to your purpose. You want something more, but no pastor is ever telling you how to be transformed. They're just giving you information about what's already took place. And you walk out and you assume that accepting that changes everything. But accepting that changes nothing. Because information alone is useless. If you understand the information of the gospel, but you don't understand the implications of the gospel, and you never experience the transformation that the gospel provides, then the information is irrelevant. So this morning, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through the motions. I'm not going to go through the motions again of sharing the information of the gospel for two reasons number one because I don't think it changes anything and number two you already know it I mean is anybody going to be shocked if I say Jesus died on a cross for your sins <gasps> you're kidding now you may go to some unreached people group on the other side of the world and that might be the response it's not the response here so people all over this area are hearing information that they already know that isn't transforming their life because they haven't done anything with the information and they're coming to church on Easter and celebrating. We're not doing that anymore. I'm not interested in that anymore. You've heard the information. You know the information. It's time to move past the information. And it's time we talk about the implications of the gospel in our lives. Now, here's what this conversation will do it'll draw a line in the sand there are a lot of people that enjoy just coming to church there are a lot of people that just enjoy coming to church on sunday just like they enjoy going to a ball game on friday or saturday it's just like they enjoy going and hanging out with their kids on a saturday afternoon just like they enjoy going out to eat with their family it's just one of the things you do in life you just enjoy coming to church and hearing information over and over and over again but you're going to hear this pastor say this morning unapologetically and this is not man i'm breaking every easter rule right now you might as well stop sending me the emails because i'm I'm not listening anymore if you're interested in just attending church there's a lot of great churches in this area where you can do that but we're not doing that anymore but if you're looking for more if you're longing for transformation in your life, if you're tired of settling for status quo, if you're not interested in just going through the motions anymore, then we're going to talk about how to experience that today. And if you walk away going, whatever that was, I want more of it, come back next week. But if you walk away going, well, that wasn't very encouraging at all. There's plenty of encouraging churches around town. And unapologetically, I'll tell you, go. Because the invitation that Jesus has for you and for me has nothing to do with attending a Sunday service. 
has everything to do with a transformation in your life that not only completely revolutionizes you, but revolutionizes those around you. And we won't settle for anything less. Now, to set the kind of the, the foundation for this conversation, I need to show you a picture. And it's a picture of an ancient device that a lot of people in this room aren't going to know anything about. Somebody in the first service was like, what kind of cooler is that? Now, for those of you who are 25 and younger, let me walk you through this. That's what we used to listen to music on. And I know what some of you are thinking, wait a minute, not your generation. Your generation had CDs. You're young. Yes, my generation did have CDs, but my family was poor, so we were a generation behind. We never got the latest and greatest stuff. We had to wait till technology came down in price. So I'm the loser listening to tapes when all my friends are jumping on Napster, <laughs> right? We'd walk in Walmart. I'd want a CD. My dad would be like, what do you need a CD for? You don't have a CD player. Ask them if they got a tape, right? So, so here's the deal. The way this would work is, and I love, by the way, I love how... Uh, my generation assumes they were the first generation to ever steal music, right? Because we're like, we got Napster, we got LimeWire, we can get music for free. The generations before us got music for free too. And they used this device right here. You know what they did? They had one of their buddies who wasn't poor, who was rich, that could afford to go out and buy the latest Led Zeppelin tape or Bon Jovi tape, right? And then we'd bring that rich buddy over to our poor house right and he'd put his tape inside a and we'd get our dollar central 88 cent tape that was blank and we would put it inside b and we would push play and record at the same time and we jack his music right or if you were really poor and you didn't have any rich friends you'd kick it over to radio and wait on the hot five at five you know what i'm talking about and hit the record button I struck a nerve. Goodness gracious. You won't cheer for Jesus, but hot five at five all day long. Lord, help us. Forgive us, Lord. So we'd hit the record button and we'd jack music off the radio, right? But inevitably, here's what would end up happening. Is we would, we'd take our tape of Led Zeppelin or Bon Jovi and we'd have a buddy that also wanted a copy. So he'd bring over his 88-cent tape. And I would put mine inside A. And he'd put his inside B. And I'd make him a copy. And then he would have a buddy who would also want a copy of said Led Zeppelin or Bon Jovi. And he would take his tape and put it in his version of whatever this is. And he'd put it inside A. And he'd make him a copy. The problem is, once you got to about the fifth or sixth generation, and some of y'all remember exactly what I'm talking about, it didn't sound like Led Zeppelin or Bon Jovi anymore. It sounded like that chick from the Peanuts cartoon, wah, 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 wah. you know what I'm talking about? Right. Yeah. And, and so the quality was gone. Here's my fear. It's actually not a fear. It's a reality that I'm fully aware of. 
The disciples had a direct interaction with Jesus. So their faith was unstoppable. The idea of being part of the local church and experiencing the transformative power of the gospel was not a part of their life. It was their life. It was what they were willing to give their life for. It changed everything. These unschooled, ordinary men were walking around, raising the dead, laying hands on blind people, making sick people well, experiencing supernatural and unbelievable things. Why? Because they experienced the transformative power of the gospel. They didn't just hear information. Listen, you got to know, these three guys, or these, these guys didn't stick around with Jesus for three years because he was declaring great information. Jesus' information was loopy at best. Jesus said crazy stuff that they didn't even understand half the time. You know what they stuck around for? It wasn't the information. It was the transformation. They stuck around because miracles were taking place. They stuck around because differences were being made. And they started a movement in which thousands upon thousands of people were being added to their number daily. But that faith got passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation until you get to the 21st century church. And for many people, we don't experience personally, intimately, daily the transformative power of the gospel. Instead, we settle for a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, and it's lost all of its quality. And, and, and most of us wouldn't be honest if you put a microphone in front of your mouth. But I'll be honest on your behalf because I know it's true. If we were being completely honest, we come to church because we know we're supposed to come to church. We raise our kids in church because we know we're supposed to raise our kids in church. We serve, we give, we get in a life group because we know that we're supposed to do those things. But how much is it really transforming our marriage? How much is it really transforming our conversations at work? How much is it really transforming our, our anger issues and our attitudes and our lusts and our guilt and our shame? How much is it really transforming those things? And if we're being honest... What we have done is settled for a copy of a copy of a copy that doesn't have near the quality that we claim that it has. Which is why anything comes up. We don't care about missing church, no big deal. Anything gets in the way of our time with the Lord, no big deal, because it's not that important. Now, we would never say that, but if we're being honest this morning, it's true. We've settled for some low-quality, substandard version of the gospel that's information-based, not transformation-based. And Jesus is going, I never shed my blood, died on a cross, walked out of a tomb for you to go to church on Sundays and hear a sermon. I never gave up my life, bankrupt heaven, for the purpose of rescuing, redeeming you, for you to experience life the same way that everybody outside the church is experiencing life. The only difference is you got church on your calendar on Sunday morning. And so I want to read to you a passage that's never read on Easter, because why would you ever go to this passage on Easter? I want to read to you a passage found in Hebrews chapter 8, picking it up in verse 1. And there's a description here of the Lord Jesus that I want you guys to get a visual image of. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, says this. So now the main point of what we're trying to say is this. We have such a high priest 
We've got a priest that's going to God on our behalf, that's interceding to God on our behalf. We've got a priest. We've got access to God, and his name is Jesus. We've got such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. We've got a high priest. And every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest. For there are already priests, watch this, who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. And they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. There are people in this world, there are people in this room that have settled for a copy of a shadow of what it means to be in the presence of God, to walk in the presence of God, to live in the presence of God, to understand your life through the lens of the Spirit of God. There are people in this room that have just caught a a silhouette, a glimpse of what that looks like, and they're settling for that and, and, and somehow excusing away this fact that it's good enough. And Jesus is over here going, what the heck, bro? I'm your high priest. I gave you direct access to my father. I don't want to be a part of your life. I want to transform your life. Stop settling for Sunday morning attendance as this thing that somehow is supposed to be good enough to get you in. Because it's not. And I got proof. I got proof that this is a problem. Whenever I sit down with people and have conversations, I'll just use my life group as an example. Whenever I sit down with my life group, And I ask this question, what's God saying to you right now? What's God speaking to you right now? What's the Spirit of God revealing to you right now? What's the Spirit of God doing in your relationship with your spouse right now? How's God manifesting himself in your finances right now? What's God doing right now? I ask that question, and you know the response I get? Crickets. Nothing. Everybody in the group has to hunt for an answer that works in a group setting in a westernized church. And then eventually somebody will speak up and they'll say, well, Pastor, what you talked about last Sunday really spoke to me. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't ask you what I said to you. I know what I said to you. I said, what's God saying to you? Don't jack my faith. That's what God's doing in me. You're just catching the overflow on Sunday mornings. You don't get credit for jacking my faith. What's God saying to you? And it's crickets. And I would venture to guess that in a room this size on Easter Sunday, if I were to ask the question, hey, what's God saying to you right now? You'd have to hunt for the answer. You know why? Because we don't walk in the Spirit of God in a manner that's transformative of our everyday life. We don't walk in the presence of God with intimacy and authenticity. You know what we do? We come to church. And we read our devotional. Listen, Rick Warren writes great devotionals. But if you come to church and hear Robbie's messages, and every morning you wake up and you read Rick's devotionals, you know what you're doing? You're living out Rick's faith and Robbie's faith, not your faith. And you've accepted information as the gospel. And it's not 
it's not. So what do we do about this? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond to this? Well, I've got an answer, and I don't know if you're going to like it. And I've been terrified to read it to you all week. Terrified to read it to you all week. Until about 8 o'clock this morning, I finally just took a deep breath and said, we're just going to do it and let the chips fall where they may. Because this is where we're going as a church. This is the invitation that we're offering as a church. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. I want to read it out of the message translation because this paraphrase paints the picture of what the original intent was meant to be. It says this. Come on. Let's leave the preschool finger painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Let's stop going through the motions of just going to church and assuming that that's what God intended for our lives. That that's why he walked out of the tomb. The tomb is empty so that I can come to church and read Rick Warren every morning. Let's let's move past finger paintings for a hot minute. And let's get on to experience life transforming power. Grow up in Christ. Stop settling for information. Grow up in Jesus. The basic foundational truths are in place. You know, turning your back on salvation by self-help and turning in trust toward God. Baptismal instructions, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. God helping us, we'll stay true to all of that. But there's so much more. Let's get on with it. And you know what I love about this passage? It includes resurrection of the dead and the elementary things. How far off base are we in the 21st century? I'm just telling you, if I'm riding down the road on 49, I go past the cemetery on the right, and somebody gets up, I'm freaking out. I don't care how much I've read, I'm losing my mind. But that's supposed to be elementary. For the disciples, that was normal. Somebody died, they said, well, they don't got to say dead. In the name of Jesus, get up. There are accounts all throughout early church history of signs and wonders and miracles taking place. You know why? Because they were walking in the bold, powerful spirit of the Lord that transformed everything they did, everything they said, everywhere they went. And for us, we're stuck over here, not even on elementary things, but we're like in preschool and settling for that as the gospel. And then we wonder why we're left feeling empty. We wonder why we're left longing. We wonder why we're left wanting and wondering and wishing for more. It's because we've settled for less. But I love what he says here. Once people have seen the light, like once you've experienced this just one time, once you begin to taste and see that it's more than a Sunday morning experience, it's more than information, but it's legit. It's like the real deal. You're walking in the Spirit of God. You're encountering the presence of God on a daily basis. Once you've seen the light and you've gotten a taste of heaven and been part of the work of the Holy Spirit, once they've personally experienced the sheer goodness of God's Word and the powers breaking in on us, if then they turn their backs on it, washing their hands of the whole thing, well, they can't start over as if nothing happened. You can't backtrack. Like once you experience, the disciples, they didn't sign up going, I would love to die a martyr's death. You know why they died a martyr's death, all the disciples? Because once they got a taste of it, they couldn't back off. No matter how hot the heat was turned up. 
no matter how much hell you go through in life, once you begin to walk in the spirit of God, once you begin to experience the power of his presence, there's no backing down. But in the 21st century, what do we do? We go through waves. I'm really excited about Jesus during this season. Uh, I'm not so excited about Jesus during this season. I want to get to church every time the doors are open. Eh, it's not that important. We go through these waves. But once you begin to walk in the spirit of God, the waves go away. You start trekking up. You start experiencing something that you can't turn your back on. And I love the imagery that's here. Look what he says. That's impossible. Because if you begin to back up, look what you're doing. You're re-crucifying Jesus. You've repudiated him in public. Parched ground that soaks up the rain and then produces an abundance of carrots and corn for its gardener gets God's well done. But if it produces weeds and thistles... It's more likely to get cussed out. Fields like that are burned, not harvested. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, I don't care how many times you've walked an aisle. I don't care how many times you've said a prayer. I don't care how much you've come to church. If it has not begun to produce fruit in your life that is transforming not only your life, but the life of those, the lives of those around you, it's not the gospel. It's just words. That bears repeating. If you're not experiencing the transformative power of the gospel in your life, it's not the gospel. I don't care how many years you've been claiming to be saved. Because a field that just produces weeds, it gets burned up. See, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that a lot of people think they've repented just enough, just enough to get into heaven. But they haven't repented near enough to begin to experience heaven on earth that God provided for them. People sign up for their get out of hell free pass. But you still experience hell in this life the same way that everybody else experiences hell. You still respond to the hell in this life the same way that everybody else responds to the hell in this life. And what makes you think that the eternal results of your death are going to be any different? If if your life's a living hell and you're not experiencing the kingdom of heaven in this life, guess what? It ain't going to be any different after you die. I don't care how many baptistries you've been baptized in. God's desire for you and for me is to to experience the transformative power of the gospel. And to do that, we've got to move past information and begin to move to implication. What's God saying to me? What's God doing in me? How's God working through me? God wants you to begin walking in the power of his promises, in the presence of his spirit, and under the authority of his word. And until you do, you aren't experiencing what Jesus shed his blood and died for. And you certainly aren't walking in resurrected life that you celebrate every Christmas and Easter. You may be sitting there right now thinking, why in the heck did he pick Easter to do this sermon? Because I wanted as many people in the room as possible unchurched, de-churched, ticked off by the church or think you got it made because you come to church 
to hear this message. That the gospel isn't the gospel if it's not transforming your life. The gospel isn't the gospel if it's not transforming your life. So I'm not interested in leading a group of people that just attends church on the weekend anymore. I want a group of people that can't wait to get together, to gather, to lift high the one who's been moving and working in their lives all week long. I want people who are showing up early and ready to stay late, to hang out, to be a part of a movement of people that are are literally changing the spiritual landscape of, of not only their city, but their family. I want to be a part of something that's special. And just so you know, if we become a church that is walking in the transformative power of the gospel, it'll be special because I don't know many churches that are doing it. Final example I'll give you of this and then I'll close. Because I know you got Easter dinner and bunnies to sit on and eggs to find and all that weird stuff. Um, how big of a tragedy would it be for me to buy my kids tickets to Disney but then to never take them to the park I just want you to picture that for a minute because that's what a lot of believers have settled for ticket to heaven I'm good shoot I'm really appreciative of it I'm not going to come to churches on Christmas and Easter I'm going to come all the time I'm good but then you never ride the rides you never see the attractions you never talk to Mickey But you're over here waving your ticket going, look what I got, look what I got, look what I got. But your ticket isn't relevant if you aren't experiencing what it pays for. So today, I have a very distinct and specific invitation. I don't want to invite you to respond and accept the information of the gospel because you know that. I want to invite you to respond to and accept the implications of the gospel. Or, like the rich young ruler who asked Jesus, how do I get eternal life? Say, implications are too much. And walk away. There's got to be one or the other.